And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard on this Saturday, August the 12th. I'm reminded of that song. Uh, who did that song? Looks like we made it. We made it after all. Looks like we made it. We're really off to a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try not to sing anymore, but we finally say don't quit the day job. We finally have made it to our uh, new studios here in the uh, plush uh, uh, digs of uh, Press Box and and Jay Moore. I'm looking online and I'm looking, uh, you know, the video very, very clear on the stream. And we really want you to go to Facebook and then go to Press Box Online. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Thank you. I got to remind the host of that. Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. Exactly. And share that so that uh, we can get as many views as possible because that's the whole idea. And uh, boy, was this a long, long night last night. Uh, You have no idea how long it was for me. rain, Rain delay in uh, Washington, which, uh, of course, they waited until just about quarter to ten to call the game. So that forces a split doubleheader for the second time and the second of three down in Washington uh, this year because we got another one coming up with the Mets a little later on in the month. Uh, But uh, the Giants-Nationals will play a split doubleheader on Sunday, 1 o'clock. They've pushed the game from 135 (laughs) up to 1 for the opener. And then the nightcap goes off at 7.05. And the reason they did that, right. 135 uh, first pitch on the last Sunday day-night doubleheader, but the first game went three hours and 50 minutes. So they had a little bit of trouble getting the stadium cleared and cleaned up that they had to move the start time of the second game back to 7.40. <laughs> really? So, yeah. So they're they're moving the first game up a half hour this time. We'll see if this works out any better. All right. First of all, we are not off to a rousing start from my there we go. There's my technology. Okay. I went that's the first time I went in Facebook.com slash pressbox uh-huh. sports. Normally I just Google Pressbox Sports and there we go. Share now public. Okay. We look go. pretty good in the new digs here. Um let me let's let's set the stage of what we got today because we got a busy show. We got five, not four guests. Josh Soroka of Section Three Thirty Six, their podcast, will be on with us at in about ten twelve minutes. Lee Lowenfish, former a uh, former professor of mine at UMBC back in the early seventies, went on to become a, quite a baseball writer. He's written the Imperfect Diamond. I want to talk to him about your grades too. The art of pitching. <laughs> I was always a B. I was always a B student. Mm, yeah. but I would have been C, but I sucked up to my professor. There you go. Um, Lee Lowenfish will join us. He wrote The Imperfect Diamond, The Art of Pitching, and the book on Branch Rickey. Thank you very yeah, much. No problem. Uh, and what was that book called? Darn it. It's called something, the something gentleman. Uh, but I'll look that up. Then at 11 o'clock, and we've got Lee on. He's a huge Orioles fan, always has been, even though he's from New York. Uh, but we have him on to talk a little bit about the significance of both Lee May and Don Baylor, two great Orioles who passed away. 
um, over the last 10 days or so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe will be on with us. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about the Red Sox and uh, the American League. Uh, and all of baseball, because he covers it all for the Boston Globe. His Sunday column is now what Peter Gammons used to be like 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's simply the best Sunday baseball column around. Nick Cafardo will join us. You arrange Jamal Collier of MLB.com. He covers the Nationals. We'll join him at about 11.20. And then at 11.40, we'll find out which presidential library Rich Dubroff has visited on this trip and how the Orioles are really going to get over the hump to be more of an important part of this uh, pennant chase or wild card chase. And, and I think it was a devastating loss last yeah, night. Yeah, it was. Greg. It was a really tough loss. Yeah. Uh, giving up the two runs in the eighth inning, Brad Brock, uh, and and more. You know, he's been so good for so long that it's hard to really sit here and and really trash Brock. No, you, but but it, he, it was the not bottom, a good performance. The like bottom that. line was it wasn't a good performance and and really what I have more of a problem with any than anything else in it is the pitch selection when he was ahead in the count. Uh 2 pitch, he can't really groove a pitch. Groove a pitch and and allow allow a fly ball for the sack Dem- fly. Dempsey went nuts about that. Yeah, you well, got to make him fish right, for you, something. Right. At least on 02, absolutely. You got to make it, you got to throw something out of the zone to see if he can chase or or just weak contact of any kind. What about the uh, Chris Davis pop fly ball? My bigger problem rather than Chris Davis is Jonathan Scope, who we all love Jonathan Scope, don't give me wrong. He well, had the Orioles MVP. He had, this year. he had the angle to to circle the ball and be in a better position. Yeah, you got to call Davis off that yeah, ball. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and we saw, you know, Davis is going down the line, and and that was Pinder, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And and he goes he goes down the line. He's trying to make that re- wide receiver over the over shoulder, the shoulder catch. catch. And, and his uh, back's turned. Would do you think they would? You think Lowry would have tagged up on it? I think he probably would have. He probably would have. Yeah, yeah. but he didn't. He so. didn't. Uh, well, because it was a foul ball. Because it was a foul ball, but you know, but even so, he catches it. Yeah, uh, you can still tag up and, and score on a foul ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the bottom line to that was Scope has the better angle, but then Scope is going to have to he's going to have to go this way, catch the ball, and then get himself in the position to throw home if yeah. Lowry does indeed decide or to, to, to tag and go home. I think it's important also to point out something in the rules, and you correct me, and Bonza, you know the rules pretty well. Had Davis, and this the, the reason the rule is written this way is to not allow a defender to purposely bobble the ball t- 10 feet mm-hmm. to catch it closer to home plate. As soon as Davis touches that ball, he can take off. He can take Absolutely. off. Absolutely. So even though he bobbled it, even if Scope caught it, then he tagged up the right way. Had he left the second one of them touched the ball, yeah, I, I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that that's is that's always been my interpretation and that is, of the rule. And that is the purpose of that rule to not allow an outfielder to kind of juggle a ball right, but the five uh, times. You know, to come in ten feet but closer, it, but it becomes a moot point because the ball was, was foul, foul at that point. And you know what? No, but if it was one ca- of those situations where if he catches it ca- on a bobble and it's foul, he still can tag on a foul, right? Okay, but they, but he has to catch it. If yes, he, I mean, of course. But here, here was the thing. I mean, the the, the ball was only foul by about by this much, six yeah, inches, exactly. yeah, six so. inches. Anyway, exceedingly frustrating game. Um, 
I thought the big moment in last night's game, the way Ubaldo was pitching, was that moment when the Orioles got the bases loaded with two outs in the fourth or fifth. Yeah, and they only got the one run. Well, the the, Smith grounded out to end the inning, and three batters into the next inning, Oakland went from 2 nothing behind with the Orioles having a chance to make it 4 nothing with a base hit to 3-2 to two ahead. It was like a seven-run shift. Big momentum, yeah, yeah. But, you know, to the Orioles' credit, they came back and scoped, doubled up the gap in right center yep. field. They, they wind the up runs. taking the lead. They got them back. And then uh, it's just unfortunate because the bullpen that uh, right now has all of its pieces back and healthy – uh, usually, kind of usually a shutdown type of deal for the Orioles, and it didn't turn out that way last night. No, it didn't at all. Uh, let's take a look quickly because um, Josh is going to join us in three or four minutes. Um, New York Yankees have the head wild card spot. They're right. sixty-one and fifty-three. They trail the Red Sox by three and a half games, despite coming back and winning last night. Uh, they scored five runs in the bottom of the eighth. Addison Reed, the new Yankees, uh, new Red Sox setup man, uh, gave up the bulk of those runs, and uh, that was a big loss there for the Red Sox. Minnesota has now won eight of their last ten, six in a row. They have jumped in front of Tampa, Seattle, and the Angels by half a game. Minnesota's fifty-eight and fifty-six, and you talk about a quick turn of events. How about the fact, like, three weeks ago, they acquire Jaime Garcia. Mm-hmm. It is Jaime. It is Jaime Garcia. I just Garcia. wanted to correct yeah, you. It's exactly. not Jamie. Um, correct me? <laughs> ah, okay. That's that's what he lives for on my on my post-game uh, Facebook Live is to correct me on things. So all of a sudden, I don't – I you know, the screen's pretty small, and I go, Craig Heist says uh, it's Jaime Ver- <laughs> Garcia. Anyway, they traded for Garcia – acquired Bartolo Colon, like five days later, they trade Garcia after losing like five out of six. They think they're out of it, and they're right back in it. And as hot as anybody, they are now 58-56. and 56. Tampa, Seattle, and the Angels, you talk about uh, a can of sardines, 59-58, and 58, and they are all tied one-half game behind the Twins. Kansas City has now lost 10 of 12 they have dropped to 57 and 58. Wouldn't you have thought 12 days ago or 14 days ago when they came into town that they were almost a lock to make the postseason? Well, for as hot as they were, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, they, they they've really around cooled they've off. Yeah. Pulled off. They've lost five in a row. and what was Six now. Six now. Yeah. But, but it, was, it was even more. Uh, you mentioned the Yankees-Red Sox game last night. So it gets late. Yankees have the lead. Chapman comes in and walks the bases loaded. Right. And the Red Sox get one run, and they they wind up getting a double play to get out of it. But I mean, you know, you're supposed to have the 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 guy there, the lockdown closer, and Araldis just didn't know where it was going last night. Yeah. All right. Well, then the Orioles are one half game behind Kansas City, and Kansas City is a game and a half behind Minnesota. So we are two games behind Minnesota. Right, exactly. So Really uh, jammed up there, but the Orioles cannot and afford and to lose three out of four games against the Angels and the A's. We've got us to find a way to separate ourselves. Well, they also have a chance teams. to win three out of four in this series, too, if they take the next two. But I'm talking they've lost three of the last four I, games. I, I two of the Angels, yep. you know. 
Very yeah. frustrating. It is frustrating, uh, but you know what? The Angels are in the same boat, basically, as the Orioles. So yeah, but you know I what? don't look at it as in that kind of logic. I mean, yeah. You, you know, Oakland's I a think we're a significantly better team than the Angels. Oakland's I really a di- do. Oakland's and a different, we're half a game behind them. Well, yeah, but right. you look at the starting pitching, and that's the reason you're in the position you're in. And granted, the starters have kind of righted They've the ship righted here the ship. a they little really bit have. lately to get them back into this position. But what made last night so difficult was they were a game out in the loss column. Now they're two games out in the yep. loss column. Okay. Joining us now is the man, uh, if you're at home, enjoying the sights and sounds of uh, Facebook Live with our uh, press box uh, podcast and live stream, uh, Josh Soroka, uh, who he, along with uh, Matt and Bert, and um, they are Section 336. Matt is your brother. Bert is the brother-in-law, correct? You got it. All that, right. That's the I, relation. I remember. Josh Soroka, by the way, did an incredible job setting up our studio here. Uh, it feels like home already. It's a little, it's sort of like a big shoe, but um, it, it's, uh, it's comfortable. Well, I got to tell you something, Josh. I love all of the soundproofing. Uh, that has gone around here in the studio because if most if you ask most people, they'll tell you the three of us really need to be in a padded room. <laughs> that 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 is a small room. I had nothing to do with the soundproofing, but it's nice and a uh, nice intimate spot to uh, do the podcast or the show. And uh, I guess nice thing is it's very uh, closes in all the sound, so you're not going to be bothering anyone out of out of there. The sound and Glenn Clark is without a doubt the loudest. Talk. He's he rivals Les Consolving, mm-hmm. who for the loudest people I've ever worked with, uh, and you can't hear him anywhere in this in this office. Uh, we're talking with Josh Soroka, uh, and let's talk about the thing we love aside from soundproof studios is the Baltimore Orioles. That was a very frustrating game last night, wasn't it, Josh? <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, the, these West Coast trips are already killing all of us for staying up so late. Right. But to have a game where Ubaldo is dominating for a few innings, he's striking guys out, he's showing you how bad the Oakland Athletics are, to blow that game with a bullpen that for years we've been praising and our confidence in, and this week they haven't shown that, has been very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Craig and I were just talking. I mean, to lose – look. The Angels are what they are. They're in front of us by half a game, but or is it? Uh, they're a game and a half in front of us. The Angels tied with Tampa right. and Seattle. But I can't help look on paper, and I know the old saying, "Paper schmaper." It's what you do on the field. But I can't believe we're not a better team than the Angels, and we lose two out of three. And collectively, to the A's and the Angels, we've lost three of the last four. That's just unacceptable at a time like this. No, and what's crazy is we just went through that humongous stretch of just horrible starting pitching. And both of these losses, well, uh, at least the Tuesday night loss, yep. which was a one-run loss with Hellickson, and then last night with Dubada, we had good starting pitching. And I, it really makes me wonder if that stretch of bad starting pitching really wore down our bullpen. Yeah, good point, good point. But again, uh, you're looking at some guys who, you know, throughout the course of the year were hurt. They lost O'Day for a while. We know about Zach Britton before he came back and now appears to be pretty healthy and 100%. So, I mean, I, I think some of that goes into account. But you're right. I, I mean, whenever you don't get 
a consistent run of starting pitching that can't get you through the fifth inning, that's going to wear down any bullpen. I I think, contrary to that notion, I think a little bit of the bullpen's problem has been lack of work. I mean, Zach Britton went four days without pitching. O'Day, get, I, th- I find the, the usage of O'Day now, to me, has become very curious. Some nights he pops them in in the eighth inning. Some nights it's the sixth inning. I, I haven't discerned the exact role Buck wants O'Day to be in. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little bit uh, weird in that regard because you'll and see I him. Think you'll see him. It's a f- performance based change of opinion. Yeah, and, and I think I think because of his struggles, yeah. you know, to a degree, uh, you'll see him sometimes in the in the sixth. You'll see him in the seventh sometime. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit. Uh, Weird. I thought really Michael Givens last night again was just dynamite. Lights out, yep. Lights out and dynamite. Yep. That's just it's a shame I, because I mean, I'm not that, second guessing bringing Brock in, but you know Givens when he when he's pitching once or twice a week, it seems like he could go two innings. But again, that's superseding Brock's role, right? And I, and I don't really have a fault with what Brock's role is. No, not at all. We're talking with Josh Soroka right now. Josh, could you have imagined, we'll, we'll stay away from all the, the Astros and what took place there, but you got to give Dan Duquette credit for deftly sort of, it's like a quarterback that's got all these tacklers at his feet, and he sort of steps out of it, like maybe the way Roman Gabriel used to, and throws the touchdown down the field. I mean, to, to be juggling all the pieces that Dan was – and to come out of it with Hellickson and Beckham, that was a pretty nice haul there at the end. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense, though. And it's crazy that two weeks ago we were having conversations just preparing for next year, right? Saying, talking about whether or not it's even worth and trying to keep it going for next year, forgetting about this year. And then Duquette says he's buying, and what he buys is Hellickson and Beckham. So we look at we look at their numbers and said these guys that's not buying that's like just trading off or something, but there's no question that these guys have breathed new life into this team, and are exciting when they're on the field. Yeah, and you know with Beckham, you just wonder how long this is going to continue because here's a guy hitting just about 500 for the yeah, an 11 game hitting yeah streak. 11 game hitting streak and it's incredible to and I've only seen him make one real blunder in the field and that was the throwing error the other day right. Uh, well, he let the one ball against was it Detroit that went under his, under his yeah so under he's his made glove. two bad plays yeah but uh, other than that I mean he's been pretty good at shortstop what what that means for this club going forward with Tim Beckham we'll have to wait and see but uh, Hellickson I always thought was a serviceable uh, starter and there had been talk before in this organization of acquiring they've Jeremy Hellickson they've, they've tried to get him a couple a times. couple of different times yeah so uh, I I think the one thing uh, with with Hellickson is as long as he keeps the ball down and gets strike one and gets ahead in the count with, with the fastball, he can do that. It just sets up everything. And he's such a good off-speed pitcher. Yeah. Uh, that, that'll set up most everything else he throws. We're talking with Josh Soroka, Section 336. Josh, uh, the, uh, how's the, the podcast been going since you joined Pressbox about six months ago? Oh, it's, it's going great. Um... We, uh, we, as I said, we've been talking the past couple of weeks, kind of preparing for the future, preparing for next year. Um, I know I got a little excited last week after that homestand, and Matt and Bert were, were saying I'm not that, um, 
just being stupid for getting excited and being positive about this year. So I'm excited for uh, Monday night's show when who knows where the, or- the Orioles are. If they play well and take the rest of these games against Oakland, we could have a wild card swap by then or be about half game out. It's pretty exciting right now. Um, if the Orioles can keep this up. You know, the amazing thing is, and Craig and I were talking about it, July 31st when Kansas City comes rolls into town, they got a head of steam up. You would have thought that it was almost a lock that they were going to come in and win two out of three or sweep the Orioles based on previ- prior in the season, earlier in the season. They have now lost 10 out of 12, and the one team I think we would have all agreed with that was even behind the Orioles was the Minnesota Twins, who bought a player, two players, in Bartolo Colon and Jaime Garcia, and then immediately did an about-face and traded Garcia when they thought, don't tell me that the, the, the management of teams doesn't think a couple days apart that a team is in it and then they're out of it. Now the Twins, who sold Garcia a week ago or 10 days ago to the Yankees, they're now back in the driver's seat having won eight out of ten and six in a row, and they look red hot. Right, but the Orioles could have been in that exact same Well, they could have been, yeah. if they If they traded Zach Britton, apparently they just didn't get the offer they wanted. But Zach Britton and Brad Brock, they were ready to trade those guys. And I feel like even if we traded those guys, we would be in the same position right now. I, I tend to agree with you. I think that the trade of Britain, and from everything I'm told, we just simply weren't offered. We were offered pennies on the dollar of Britain's real value. And I'm not, right. I'm not saying Britain's value is 47 out of 47, 0.6 ERA, 0.6 whip, but it certainly isn't what he's done this year. But the other part of that, too, is I also heard that with about 10 minutes to go in the yeah. trade deadline – that that deal had been agreed to and by was, both sides, uh, by except, both sides, except ownership, except the ownership from the Orioles. Yep. yep, and that's what it always boils down to. But I agree with you, uh, Josh. I think you could have traded Britain. I don't think you could have traded both of them and and still been playing as if you were in this. But I think just as I credited Duquette for definitely avoiding the tackles and throwing a, a hail mary and getting Hellickson and and Beckham. I think you could have been just exactly where you are with three or four fresh new faces um, buoying this minor league system if you had traded Britain. But, again, um, you know, Peter Angelos is not one that likes to give up on a season. I don't think he saw that the two were were, um, potentially analogous, that you could have traded Britain and still been in, in the hunt this year. Analogous? Yeah. Analogous. Yeah, well, How many times have I told you not to use words like that around me? <laughs> hey, I know words. It's just pronunciations of players. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, yeah I, 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 and you know what? I agree with the whole, we wanted, we wanted Chapman, Miller-like prospects and everything for Britain. So if we weren't being offered that and if we had some uh, health concerns with the prospects coming our way, I have no problem with not trading Britain because – if Britain continues his dominance for the rest of the season, he will be at least as valuable, even though I think a little more valuable because he'll be further away from that injury. Yeah, I was this just going to say, if not more, and you have another year to determine, you know, however this team is going to play next year, 
whatever Britain's value is can certainly be tested again at the trade deadline next year or, you know, or, even, or even in the offseason this year. Absolutely. We're talking with uh, Josh Soroka of Section 336. Josh, before we let you go, um, Dan Connolly, uh, who writes for Press Box on a monthly basis, and he uh, leads the uh, very fine website, BaltimoreBaseball.com. He wrote a piece uh, the last weekend that was sort of like this feel-good piece about Chris Tillman and that the club should sign him now to a one-year deal next year uh, to kind of show him that, hey, we know you've done a lot for this organization and we, we just want you to relax and get back to being what you can be. I mean, I almost felt like we should pull out the, the, um, the all put our hands around and sing Kumbaya. Uh, the world doesn't really work that way. And I never saw a price tag attached to Connolly's um, contract offer. Uh, what were your thoughts on that notion? Well, that, that's the key. It's a great notion. And I think it's also the notion of, all right, you've had a really bad year. Give us one more year cheap. Yeah, that's, give, that's give us what a good I'm, discount yeah. because you've been so bad, and we're we're going. We want to go all in next year and figure out what this team is. So if we can get Chris Tillman cheap, and if he can fix this and get healthy, and, but it, it's it's all about uh, getting him low, and right now is the time to get him low, kind of like uh, we did for many batters over the years. And, and I Sign a one-year deal and rebuild yourself. Yeah, and I don't see any reason, Chris. I think Chris would look actually a little foolish in a couple different ways if in the middle of this wild card chase that he was dealing with his contract. I think people could beat him up for that. And the other thing is, look, the, the kind of money we are talking about for Chris Tillman for 2018, let's be quite blunt about it. The most he's going to command in a guarantee is something like $2 million. It's going to be a million five to two million in a guarantee, with it jumping to like five if he makes your roster going into into the regular season, and then it's going to have incentives that if you if he would go back and win fourteen games, he'll probably get up to ten million dollars. So I mean, this is not that hard um, of figuring a you know a configuration to come up with the numbers what they're eventually going to be. I just didn't think it's the right time right now. Plus, I think Chris also has to determine, and the Orioles have to determine, he's healthy. if he's healthy. And that means getting that shoulder completely looked at, and whatever they're going to do with it, whether it's another injection, whether it's, you know, maybe surgery. I don't know whether we go that far with it. Yep. But at some point in time, he's got to figure that out because mechanically – he is not right yeah. at this point in time. Tom Davis told me that Dave Johnson talked to him recently, and he says he's fine physically. Yeah. He got into some really bad habits last year after he came back from the shoulder problem, and he has not been able to get over those problems. So, I, you know, I just uh, – to me, if I'm Chris Tillman, I know he's made – Look, he, I never count anybody else's, you know, bank accounts without looking, you know, without really knowing the numbers. I think he should, whether it's Rick Peterson, somebody that knows him a little bit, he should consult with somebody because he'll be a free agent, somebody neutral, and maybe give him 20, 15, 20 grand to work with him for a couple months mm -hmm. and film him, watch the film, 
do some strengthening and things of that nature. I mean, I, I know Chris Tillman. He's going to work hard at this. And if all things are equal, I would love to have Chris Tillman back. I just don't find that the time right now is correct to move on. That. Yeah, and I always talk to I always talk to Matt Weeders uh, since he's with the Nationals, and yeah. and we've we've talked a little bit about this during the course of the year. And Weeders always tells me he says, "Look, I'm not worried about Chris. He'll figure this out." And for for like three or four starts there, it looked like he it probably like he had, had yeah. figured it out a little bit. And then he had two clunkers back to back. And then all of a sudden he's in the bullpen, and and I said to Matt, I said, you know, they put Chris in the bullpen. He said, yeah. He said, I saw that. Uh, and I said, do you think he's totally healthy? And I and he says, well, without being there, I don't know, but yeah. I would have to say there's, there's probably something something, something yeah. amiss there. Yeah, there's no question. Look, and the thing you feel bad about, and I think collectively we all, if you say, do you like Chris Tillman? Raise your hand. Everybody raising no. people in Birdland that say, nah, he's a jackass or whatever. Um, the thing I feel bad about, again, this is a guy who isn't in it for the money. He's a, a solid performer. He's a stand-up guy, and he was real close to getting a big contract. Yeah, you know, and he finished up the 2017 season. The Orioles are talking about a four- or five-year deal with him for in the 70 to $80 million. Oh, there's range. no question about it. You know, And I kind of equate that with Tillman with what Wilson Ramos went through with the Nationals. Here he is in his contract year. He is offensively having the the year of his life. Right. And not only being a decent catcher, uh, so he's going to command a lot, and then he blows out his knee, and before you know it, the following year, he's with the Tampa Bay Rays. Right, right. Playing in a dome. Yeah. All right. Josh, uh, tell our folks about the podcast, where they can catch it. Sure. It's uh, every Monday night on uh, Facebook, slash Section 336 or Section336.com. Yeah, in iTunes, on Pressbox, it's all over the place. Just search, type Section 336 into Google, and it pops up in a bunch of places. All right. Many thanks again for both your friendship and the workmanship you put into this studio. Uh, it has we, we call it the Josh Soroka Section 336 studio. All right. All right. Take care, That's Josh. Right. Appreciate it. All right. It. Have a good day. All right. We're going to take a timeout right now. When we get back, and the word I couldn't think of was ferocious. Okay. That's the Branch Ricky biography, not autobiography, written by Lee Lowenfish, the ferocious gentleman. We'll talk to Lee Lowenfish. Uh, we're not talking about really that biography. We're talking a little bit more of the import of two famous Orioles who passed away over the last 10, 12 days, Lee May and Don Baylor. We'll be back with the bat around right after this. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package 
Get four Iron Birds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Iron Birds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complementary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. And we are back on the bat around Stan the Fan and Craig Heist and uh, we thank you for tuning in. There's a couple different ways you can tune in. If you just want to listen um, you know, that you, you can't stand the sight of us. You just go to uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio and click on the bat around uh, button or icon. Uh, but if you want to watch the show along uh, with us and uh, pay attention to what we look like and how we grimace and grunt at each other, you go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. All right, very quickly, yes. I have a good friend, Ben Raby, who is Canadian, yeah. who I work with down in... Uh, he loses, you know all, of right. he loses all of his credibility. loses all his credibility. Because but, he's uh, Canadian. Ben uh, just has a, has a Facebook post. Right. Uh, his status is called, it just says, August 12th, 1994, 74 and 40, which was what the Montre- uh, Montreal, Montreal Expos, Expos were uh, when the strike hit uh, in 94. 
And a lot of people think that that uh, team probably could have won the World Series that year. And, boy, that would have been a different history of that team in Washington baseball. It could have very well been. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But everybody remembers that in the strike. And, you know, eventually we get back to playing baseball the following year uh, after it was delayed to start the year. And, of course, Cal Ripken goes on to to break DiMaggio's uh, mark. Mark. Consecutive game mark. Yeah, Bonza. Just want to say somebody complimented you on the stream there, Craig. Yeah. yeah. Who is that? It's got to be a woman. Kathy. Oh, Kathy. okay. It's got yeah. to be a woman. Yeah, well. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she's like, looking good, Craig, my friend. There you go. <laughs> I never get women that say that. Joining us right now. Do not hate the player, hate the game. It's like, <laughs> it's like Ben Unruh used to say, don't hate don't hate me because you ain't me. That's right. Don't, yeah. don't hate me because you, you ain't me. me. Joining us right now is somebody I've known for my God, tw- uh, 28 and 17. That's got to be like 45 years, Lee Lowenfish. Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, I, I trust that uh, your uh, uh, Facebook video uh, doesn't get your guests, too, because I'm, I've showered, but I'm sitting here in my robe uh, <laughs> wanting to talk baseball history and trying to forget that loss last night that I lost a little sleep over. I'm sure you've talked about it already this well, morning. That's, so. that's a visual I didn't need, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've talked about that loss ad nauseum uh, to this point in time. It was a fr- – you just at this point in time, I know it sounds so trite, you can't lose three out of four to the Angels in Oakland right now. You've well, got to do better than that. Today is a new, is a new day, and, yep. you know, it's uh, – and by the way, this day is a day that Dylan Bundy is going to pitch. Is he going up against Sean Manea, or or have they changed starters? Because originally Manea was listed last night with Blackburn today. Uh, I think they split flopped him. Okay, so, yeah. so Manea's today. He's a tough. He's a tough customer. Yeah. Although he's a left-hander, so uh, we got a lot of right-handed hitters in our lineup. It was hard to tell on TV last night, but. I don't know if Scope could have caught that ball, but uh, the Oakland announcer sure said that he could have. But if Chris Davis is running in your area, I mean, I think discretion is probably the better part of <laughs> That's power. a good point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. But Scope, in my opinion, given the whole situation where, where you'd like to have the, the fielder catch the ball and be able to adeptly turn and throw a strike to home plate in case the runner leaves – Having to size that up and also just eyeballing how much trouble Davis looks like he's having, I thought Scope had to take charge of that play a little bit. But I'm hesitant. Look, I'm hesitant to uh, criticize him because he's been a marvelous player all year long and he rarely does the wrong thing. And I'm I'm hesitant to criticize uh, Brad Brock, but he did not hold his team in the game last night. And you can't, I mean, he looks like the kind of pitcher that he can't really pitch when he's 1-0. and I mean, he couldn't, he could not get the first pitch strike in last night. And, you know, and uh, that's why I'm sure glad for the time being anyway they've held on to Britain because Britain, Britain is, is a special kind of pitcher. And he, he's a gamer and he's been through uh, the uh, almost being DFA'd, you know. Uh, well. Not to ar- not to argue with you, but Rick Dempsey was up in arms about the fact he was ahead of Pinder 0-2 and, and and didn't make him fish for something. He yeah. threw something that was hittable right across the plate. Right across, well, outer half of the I plate. I mean, it's 94-95, right yeah. but it's still across the plate. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, well. Lee, we, we, we could 
bat around, uh, no pun intended, we could bat around the, the, the loss, the bitterness of last night's loss. Today is another day, but we've had two losses in Oriole, in the Oriole world and in the baseball world the last 12 days or 14 days of Lee May and Don Baylor. And those two guys were kind of the heart and soul as to the reasons you started rooting for the Orioles many moons ago, even though you were from New York. Right, yeah. The, the, it was kind of amazing that Frank Cashin, within a week after the 73 season, traded for Singleton, and then he traded for May. And uh, May, May uh, uh, was just was such a heart and soul of that of of, of that team, and and never got the credit because he didn't really he, he didn't uh, didn't want it. He wanted to just play baseball. He grew up in Birmingham. I, I in digging into the past, I he was signed by Bobby Bragan's brother, uh, Jimmy Bragan, for the Reds. He was and, the uh, he was the president of the American Association at one time, or the Texas yeah, the League. Southern, I think, Southern, the Southern Association. Yep. yep, Southern. And and he he turned down Lee May turned down a uh, football scholarship to University of Nebraska for the right reasons. I mean, he thought that baseball would be it'd be safer and it'd be a longer career, and and indeed he had a 18 year career, and and the numbers. Uh, are uh, uh, impressive, but you know, two sixty-seven average, uh, three fifty-four homers. Uh, the, uh, he even stole third to thirty-nine bases, but that was early in the career. But it was so much more off the field with Lee May. I mean, he he was the the kind of guy that he broke in Eddie Murray. Uh, he knew Eddie Murray was going to take uh, his job away ultimately, but that didn't matter. I mean, he. Uh, he he told told Eddie how to dress, how to behave like a, a how to a be a pro, leaker. how to be a pro ball player. Yeah, yeah, and and he uh, he had this such great uh, sense of humor. I, I heard this story uh, Al Bumbery Al Bumbery told years ago about uh, uh, Pat Kelly had a life before he became a preacher that was a pretty uh, uh, libertine life. Right. He was almost superfly. But then he became a preacher, and he started preaching in the Oriole Clubhouse. And uh, there's the famous story of Earl Weaver uh, 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 telling him, you know, I'd, I'd rather uh, well, Pat, uh, I'd rather have you, uh, he said, you walk with the... With, uh, Pat, Earl, uh, will you walk with the Lord with me? Yeah, and then Weaver says... Uh, yeah, I'd rather have you walk with the with the bases loaded. Uh, but the story that, that that Lee May told was that he starts preaching in the clubhouse, and he was quite a preacher. And so Lee May kind of gently says to him, uh, "You can take us down to Susquehanna, Pat, but please don't take us down to Mississippi." <laughs> and you know, I mean, that was the kind the kind of humor he had, and every successful team, you know, needs it. We're talking with we're talking with Lee Lowenfish, baseball author, teacher. Uh, he was my American Studies professor back in the early seventies. UMBC's written such books as The Imperfect Diamond about baseball's uh, burge- at that time burgeoning labor uh, relationship between the uh, MLPA and uh, management of Major League Baseball. He's written the art of uh, uh, the the um, the art of pitching with Tom Seaver. He's written a book about the baseball trainers, and he's his most well-known piece of work is the ferocious gentleman about Branch Rickey. Uh, Lee, we're talking a little bit about Lee May, and we'll get into Baylor. I've got one Lee May story 
I went to Oriole Fantasy Camp in 1992, 93, 94. I only played in 92. Grant Jackson picked, picked me as one of his pitchers because he saw me warming up. They actually go around and scout you the first day to decide who they, and they have their own fantasy draft. So he sees me pitching submarine, and he tells me later in the week, I figured if you threw submarine, you'd be durable during the week. So I pitched like 14 and two-thirds scoreless innings, uh, earn run-wise, and we win the championship. So if you win the championship Tuesday through Friday, on Saturday morning, all the teams play a three-inning game against the Orioles. Over And at, ironically, it was at Ed Smith Stadium, even though the camp was at Twin Lakes Park. So I'm the leadoff pitcher against the Orioles. Within a blink of an eye, Bumbery and Blair are on second and third, and I think Boog comes up third, and he gets a base hit, knocks in two runs. So now I'm really like, I really want to bear down and get these Orioles out. So I'm rubbing the baseball. I'm not doing an Al Roboski imitation, but I'm rubbing the baseball with my back to, to home plate. And I turn around, and my catcher, a guy named, I think it was John Herzog, big guy, he goes, honey, quick, come on. And he's on the on-deck circle with Brooks Robinson, who I've, I'm ready to face. And he's like, quick, take the picture of me and Brooks. So Brooks hits a ground ball to the shortstop. My shortstop boots the ball, and he was a great shortstop. Uh, so now I got first and second, no outs. Lee May's up, and I somehow get to 0-2 on Lee May, throwing submarine. So I'm going to outsmart Lee May. So I crossfire him. I go to the side and crossfire. And I'm telling you, it was a perfect strike three. I guess the umpire didn't want to call Lee May out, you know, the pro. And Lee May's looking at me like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You, you're going to crossfire me? So I go back to my submarine thing. He hits the ball. I, I, it would be a great story if I said he hits it out of the stadium. He hit it over our left fielder's head right to the warning track. I mean, he was already 50 years old probably at that yeah. point in time. But, and, you, uh, and you were already down 2 nothing. I was already <laughs> down, and by that time I was down 4 nothing. Uh. And he's wagging his finger at me at second base like, yeah, I, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. Uh, Don Baylor, uh, well, I heard you know, the they, they, Go ahead. They were only teammates uh, for a year or so. But, you know, looking at the stats, their stats were kind of very similar. Yes. But the thing, the thing, and the thing that uh, I totally forgotten is that Baylor used to run. He stole bases. Yep. Uh, uh, but but he was was another one who who loved being an Oriole, and and you know, in, in a way, he shared a, a similar uh, background coming up through the Oriole system that that May did coming up through the Red system because May was behind Tony Perez, and so he didn't, uh, and he spent many years in the in the minor leagues. Uh, Baylor had to go to Rochester twice because they had the outfield uh, uh, log jam, you know, with uh, with Blair and with Buford and and with Frank Robinson and also Merv Redderman. And but but Baylor was patient, and when he came up, he uh, uh, fit in very quickly. And when he was traded for Reggie uh, before the '76 uh, season, uh, he wept. Yep. I mean, and, and you know, uh, we've always said the hardest thing to do is when you tell somebody that you're going back to the minors. But in this case, when you were, you told him he was going to Oakland, he wept because the Orioles had always uh, been, had been his home. Yep. And and he, uh, 
Uh, it's too bad he didn't didn't live to get into the Oriole Hall of Fame where he should be because he he uh, was he had the arm. You know, he's another one who turned down a football scholarship into to Texas, uh, right? To, to Texas, Texas yep. exactly. Was he a and running? He was he a running back? Lee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very. It, it's it's that that period when uh, the athletes played all sports. You know, one of the big problems today that you've probably discussed in prior sports is that uh, shows is that more and more athletes are becoming baseball players that are burning out because they haven't played other sports. They don't know how to compete in other ways. But Baylor and, and May came from that generation that played everything in high school and uh, and chose baseball wisely because they had they had longer careers. And you talk and about I got to know Baylor a little bit when I was uh, writing my story for the Baltimore Sports Anthology on how I became an Oriole fan, and uh, he was very uh, open and and you know, confirmed all those stories about how he wept when he was traded out of the Oriole family. And you talk about uh, you know just how patient Baylor was, and that just goes to show you what a difference the game is now as opposed to back then. You mean about when you want to make it? When you make it, and you really have to pay your dues, you know, and go through the system before you got up there. And I think the Orioles probably did that as well as anybody. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the Orioles were the state of the art from around uh, 63 to 83. I mean, you talk to any baseball person, and uh, uh, they were envied because they, they had the scouting and the development people were all on the same page. And Weaver and Cal Ripken Sr. Had, were incredible instructors who knew these guys from, from day one. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but if you look at what the Orioles would have been like had they, had they held on to Don Baylor, and um, they also traded, what, Paul Mitchell went in that trade with Baylor? That's right. And they got uh, Mike Torres back. Uh, that, along. That, that, and, yeah. And, uh, and 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 uh, Reggie and Reggie, but I, I just can't help but believe that with with Don Baylor, who wanted to be an Oriole and would have been signable, we would have been even better from that point on for the next five six years. Of course, there was such a business reason for it yep. because you know the, the free agency was coming in at the end of that year, and yep. uh, they they uh, uh, and and Peters, you know, had signed Reggie Jackson for Oakland. So he was a great. There was a relationship in, there, yeah. In 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 Reggie's talent, you know, if you want to go, uh, if history, you know, what if the DH should come in a year earlier, and then we wouldn't have had a tip trade Frank Robinson. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, we talked to Dusty Baker this past week uh, about Don Baylor and his passing and what his remembrance of Don was, and he said, "We came up at the same time, and." You know, I was supposed to be the next Hank Aaron. And he, he was supposed, supposed to be, be the, the next, next Frank. Frank Robinson. He said we played a couple of years, uh, uh, you know, against each other in in Double A and then in Triple A. Maybe not so much, but we were still there, and we were always fighting for like minor league awards, batting titles, things of that nature. He said, and and just what he meant to to Dusty, uh, you know, as a player and as a person more than anything. But he remembers those early days about how the comparisons yep. of the those two with the organizations that they were in, and I, I found that to be kind of interesting. It's it's definitely interesting because you talk to the scouts, and they they will say that what kids today are not learning is that they're not learning how to be teammates. And there's so many great stories about Baylor 
as a teammate. The one when he was with the Angels, and they had lost a tough uh, late season game, and the short, the young shortstop made an error, and the the, the media ran to him at the shortstop, and Baylor kind of pulled the Gene Mark. He just took the uh, the spread, the post game food spread, and threw it up in the air, and 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 so everyone ran to him, right? And Baylor to take the heat off of the shortstop. Exactly. I mean, it's those you know those little things that are so important in that in that long long season that is baseball. One one last thing about Baylor before we let you go. I recall because I used to read incessantly back in those days the sporting news and everything. Don Baylor hurt his arm, didn't he? He had a very good outfield arm when he was coming up, but he hurt it, his shoulder. I, I, think. I think it was an old football injury. Okay. And so that that's why the uh, uh, the, 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 the that's why left field became his position because I think he played center in 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 the minors when. It, it wasn't as uh, uh, crucial, so I think it, it, you're right. It was an, an injury, but I think it it it, it started in uh, in uh, football, and then of course he became one of the uh, the solid DHs wherever he went, and was in three three World Series uh, back to back to back from '85 to '87, and finally winning one uh, for the uh, uh, for the for the Twins. Hey, Lee, before we let you go, uh, I know that you were uh, an instructor in uh, Stan's college days. Uh, what kind of uh, grades were there? What kind of a student was he? Well, he, he was an engaged student, and I mean that, you know, not in the marital sense. No. But, <laughs> you know, he, and I'm not sure uh, our mutual friend Dave, Dave Rubenstein was in that mm. class, but I certainly knew him he, at the time. And it was a great class that with my dear friend, uh, Steve Vicchio, be listening this morning, Todd, Todd Wilson, we taught yeah. at UMBC. I mean, we had, we had the uh, vet came to speak. He was living on the Eastern Shore, and Jim Parker came. And Jim Parker, uh, on the way to class, I'll never forget this, Jim Parker says, you want me to lie or tell the truth? <laughs> and I said, tell it like it is or as it is. And Parker said that when you added up the football scholarships he had and the training table and the summer job that he had, all he had to do was report his weight once a week. He made far more money at Ohio State than he ever did. He ever did it. All right. so it was very memorable. And I... Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, those those were great times, and uh, I'm always glad to talk about them. And and since I still love baseball, in spite of this lackluster Oriole year and all all kinds of greed and stuff, uh, they can't kill the game. And uh, and uh, I'll be in front of the tube at 9:05 Eastern time tonight. To be honest with you, Lee, I was just looking for any kind of dirt I could dig up. That's all. <laughs> I, I recall it's interesting you used the word I was an engaged student. I, yeah. I, I referred to myself as a suck-up to my professors. There you I go. Made, I made, friend, made sure I made friends with all my professors, but Lee was certainly one of the most, to use the right word, engaging professors I had. Lee, always a pleasure. You know I love you. Um, are you due back in town if, if the chase gets heated? If, if the chase gets uh, tight, yeah, maybe in September. All but, right. Uh, I'll be following from afar and, and hoping. I did see Aberdeen beat Staten Island the other day, and the the third baseman, he's not an all-star, was kind of impressive on both sides of the ball, and Grapeford, I think his name is. So 
So we'll see. I mean, the farm system ain't great, but it sure isn't as bad as uh, some of the media are, are saying. And, uh, and you know, Mancini wasn't even in the top 100. So yeah. that shows you about these lists, right? Hey, by the way, I'll give you one name to keep a close eye on. I went out to Aberdeen last night. They had a, a promotion. They changed the name of their team for one night only from the Ironbirds to the Steam Crabs. But the catcher... Uh, ben Brazil from uh, Wake Forest. From I think Wake Forest. You, yeah. the, the problem is that he's committing a lot of pass balls. And if, if, if there is a critique I have of the farm system, is they're getting a lot of people who don't really have positions. positions. Yeah. I, I don't well, think, I'm not convinced on him. I'll, I'll anyway. tell you one thing I'm convinced of. You don't look up to too many scoreboards after anybody plays at any level of baseball for six or seven weeks, seeing on base percentage of 467. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll take that position. All right. Uh, all, all right. right. Listen, T- talk to you soon. We continued and, uh, and uh, have, have a great rest of the day, guys. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. There you go. A lot Lone of fun. Fish. Yeah. He's a good man. Good man and good friend. Um, uh, boy, it's been a long time. I've known Lee a long, long time. Uh, Nick Cafardo is going to join us at at eleven o'clock. Even Bonza, you have something to add into the mix. Well, John Colson on the stream also mentioned that you look great, Stan. He never mentioned you though, Craig. Well, I you know I mean I care what John Colson thinks, but it's not <laughs> necessary. just how much do you care? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how, so how far we're we're about halfway through the first yeah. show in our new studio. We like our digs, right? Right. We I like, like it. Digs. Yeah. Good. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Very yeah. That's right. Very com- comfortable. Yeah. Especially when you have three people in here. Right. You try and get a fourth in here. It's going to get a little tight. Yeah. It's going to get a little tight. Yeah. Little little gamey. Let's uh, uh, Orioles today. Play at nine oh five tonight, right? And it'll be Dylan Bundy against Sean Manaya uh, for the. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, Manaya, yeah. uh, the left-hander for uh, uh, Oakland. And then tomorrow it'll be Jeremy Hellickson going against. I don't know Dan who tomorrow. Gossett, I think Gossett Go- is pitching. Okay. That's who. I'm looking forward to seeing Hellickson again tomorrow uh, because of the first two outings he's had uh, since he became an Oriole. Uh, you know, and he throws the seven scoreless innings in, in the one and then probably deserves a better fate uh, in game two uh, against Anaheim. But uh, certainly he's pitched uh, very well, giving the Orioles a chance to win each time out. That's what you're looking for. And then it's up to the offense and, and, and the rest of the bullpen. Last night, obviously, it didn't work. They had the one-run one, one lead in the eighth inning uh, that they couldn't uh, make hold up. So they'll get, like Lee says, it's a day-in, day-out proposition, and you'll try it again today. Okay. Just to correct myself, because ESPN, a week out, will put who the starters were. So all week it was Gossett tonight, Manaya last night. So Manaya's tonight, mm-hmm. and Kendall Graveman goes against oh, Graveman. Uh, okay. Alex and tomorrow out there. Joining us right now is one of the very fine baseball writers in this country, and his Sunday column in the Boston Globe is a must-read for baseball fans. They do have a little bit of a paywall, but I gladly pay 99 cents a week to read Nick Cafardo. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing great. I'm here with Craig Heist, and Bonza, as you know, drives this show. Um, Yep. uh, It's nice to know you're worth 99 cents a week, isn't it? (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. That, uh, a lot <coughs> of people can't say that. that. I'll tell you what, that, that adds up over 52 weeks. That's like $50. Yeah, I could have my own uh, dollar store. <laughs> well, Pe- actually, less than a dollar store. Peter, Peter Schmuck used to have the greatest line in the world for me. He says, you got to love Heisty. He's the only guy I know that can make $25 a day, you know, or makes $50,000 a year, $25 at a time. So there you go. <laughs> Nick That's is great. with us. He covers the Boston Red Sox, and he co- covers the game of baseball. We just had on my old American Studies professor, uh, and he's an author, Lee Lowenfish, who wrote The Ferocious Gentleman on uh, – Branch Rickey, he wrote The Art of Pitching with Tom Seaver. He wrote The uh, Imperfect Diamond with Marvin Miller. Lifelong Orioles fan. We were talking to him about the death of Lee May and Don Baylor. I don't know how well you knew Lee May, but I'm assuming you you got to rub elbows a little with Don Baylor. Oh, I sure did with Don, yeah. I I didn't know Lee as as well, no. But uh, Don, of course, was with the uh, 86 Red Sox and... uh, um, yeah, he was like the perfect guy that Lou Gorman acquired for that team. They really needed a uh, high-character type guy that could uh, kind of bring the entire team together, and and he certainly did that. Did that in that in that one year, and also had a pretty good year: thirty-one home runs and ninety-four RBIs that year, and uh, you know hit a big home run in Game Five of the ALCS against. The Angels, the Red Sox were on the brink of elimination, and he tied the game, and Dave Henderson uh, did the rest in that game. But uh, yeah, Don was a, a wonderful guy who, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of a a gentle giant. You know, he was yep. uh, just the, the the guy the Boston media anyway uh, went to for uh, virtually every answer under the sun for any any question, and uh, he was always extremely accommodating and um and uh was a guy that uh, everybody respected uh players coaches and you could just tell he was back then he was going to be a manager he had those uh traits and uh he got a chance a couple of with a couple of teams and i thought that uh he really should have gotten a third chance uh yep. to manage somewhere so yeah very sad uh, ironically, his one World Series victory was the year after that great run of the Red Sox in 86. Yeah. He got traded to the Twins late that season, hit a big home run in that World Series uh, where they beat the Braves. Yeah, did the same thing uh, with the Twins. He uh, uh, really uh, was the perfect guy at the, at the right time. And and uh, he was, uh, what, 37 years old by that point and, uh, and still made a uh, huge contribution. Uh, we've talked to you many, many times. I know you've known Dan Duquette a long time. He took a, a, a good bit of heat here right around the 31st, the trade deadline. How did you break that down? I, we all know here how tough a position he's in with the owner that he's got to work with mm-hmm. in terms of the rapidity with which that owner makes decisions. Um your thoughts on what happened there with Houston, and at the end of the day, I listened to XM Radio a fair amount. Jim Bowden says it's really at the end of the day, it's Jeff Lunau who didn't get the job done. He didn't close the deal. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very interesting take. Uh, first of all, with Dan, um, you know, it's unfortunate that um, uh, that uh, he has the restrictions on him uh, that he does by the ownership there, and. Uh, because I, uh, I I think Dan is really a brilliant guy. I think I think he's uh, 
if if you give him the chance to uh, either go out and get uh, a top tier free agent or make a a deal for a top tier player, uh, he'll come through every time. But if he has the handcuffs on him like he does there, it's a uh, it makes the job really, really difficult, and uh, I, I don't think anybody envies uh, his position, uh, uh, given the ownership there. Do you um, have any? And, oh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Nick. Go ahead. Yeah, and then Luno. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what he's doing. I, I, I know that uh, he's got all these prospects, and he's got young positional players. So I don't, I don't get why he wouldn't give up players who may never make your team. Right. Uh, and players who are redundant to your organization, uh, in order to really go for it and uh, and uh, and win. Uh, so, um, you know, it's a move that they may regret. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll win it all, and and maybe we'll have egg on our face for saying that. Yep. But I think uh, you know he's done a great job building that team, and he's done it. Uh, the for really the first guy who's done it strictly in my opinion, with analytics. Uh, and uh, he's uh, done, a, done a fine job getting those players. But, boy, uh, y- you really have to be careful because even though you think you've got a few years, um, you really don't. You know, you close that, that window you have closes up so quickly. And uh, if you have a chance to go for it, you've got to do it. Let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of the way the Orioles kind of went about this trade deadline this past uh, last two or three weeks. And, and the idea of everybody thinking there should have, they should have been uh, sellers instead of buyers, they go out and they wind up getting Jeremy Hellickson from the Phillies, and they also wind up getting Tim Beckham, a former number one pick. And all of a sudden, these guys, to me, have just brought a new kind of life to this team. And and I'm wondering, being so close in the in the wild card race that they are, and obviously they lost a very tough game last night. But how much of a difference do you think that's going to make for them trying to get to the wild card, going down the stretch? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, whenever you can get a spark from your trade deadline acquisitions, that's that's huge. The Red Sox have have gotten the same thing from uh, Eduardo Nunez uh, and. Uh, uh, well, basically him so far, but uh, but he's he's made quite a difference. Uh, um, you know, he did make a base running blunder last night that helped cost him the game, but for the most part, he's he's been terrific. So yeah, that can really that can really help. And, and again, I, I think uh, um, you know if Dan had uh, been able to do other things, and I'm sure he wanted to, um, that might have helped even more. But um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it doesn't have to be a superstar that sparks you. You know, it, it can be. You know, look at look at what the uh, Giants have been able to do in adding certain strategic guys over the years. Uh, you know, Cody Ross comes to mind. Uh, uh, you know, they, you you definitely can really uh, put yourself in a great position. It doesn't take much sometimes. We're talking with Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe. Nick, uh, there's been a story that uh, has erupted, I'd say, over the last five weeks. It's been David Price's uh, relationship with uh, the media in Boston. It actually started with a print reporter that he sort of shouted down, and then he announced he wasn't going to talk on the uh, days of, of his pitching. And then he got into a tiff, a pretty large tiff, with Dennis Eckersley, 
and kind of embarrassed him and tried to shout him down in front of his Red Sox teammates on an airplane. Um, apparently, everybody in the organization, management-wise, John Henry, Dombrowski, Sam Kennedy, have all apologized to Dennis Eckersley. The manager and the player involved haven't. Uh, sign of a lack of leadership uh, in, in, in the right way, do you think? Well, I, I uh, defend John Farrell on that. He can't very well. Uh, come out and go against his player. Okay. You know, he he would lose his player, and he would lose the players on the team if he did that. His first priority is for is with David Price, and not with Dennis Eckersley. And uh, I, you know, I I haven't really talked to John too much about it in depth, but um, that's my take on it. And I think that any manager uh, would do the same. I don't, I don't think any manager would throw his thirty one million dollar pitcher under the bus. <laughs> publicly how about uh, the player himself though can he get out of the sticky wicket can he step out of the sticky wicket he's gotten himself into Uh, only if he performs at a high level and uh, of course he's hurt so i'm not sure that's going to happen until he is able to to be the david price of old uh uh, this is going to be hanging over his head especially with a fan base who's uh very much in Next corner on this one, so yeah, um, he just hasn't enamored himself at all with the fans here in Boston, and um, uh, he, um, you, you know, it really goes back. They've had a couple of guys now that they've acquired as free agents who were with the Tampa Bay Rays, and it's really quite a difference yeah. from the environment there and the environment in Boston. So. Uh, neither one of those guys uh, really were able to adjust to that big market atmosphere, um, and so you got you know we feel the Red Sox Yankees. You got to be very careful about the type of uh, players you go after and make sure that they can handle the situation. In in terms of price, what are the prospects of him coming back and then uh, maybe helping this team later on? And and we. We all understand what the postseason issues have been for David Price sure. throughout his career. Well, last few days it, it, it's been positive. It's you know he's been able to ramp up his throwing program and and uh, without any soreness. So, um, but it's gone back and forth. You know, uh, the team itself doesn't really know what to expect from him from day to day. Um, so right now it's on an upwards you know climb and. And uh, he'll get to the point where he's throwing to hitters, and then he'll, uh, you know, probably have to go out and make a rehab start or two and build himself back up. So, you know, best case scenario, he he comes back sometime in September, and uh, you know, is strong for the uh, playoffs. But uh, uh, that's the best they can hope for right now. But um, um, he's an important guy, and no no doubt about it. He's. Uh, when he's on, he's, uh, and he's even this this year when he's been on, he's you know pitched some very good games. So uh, he's if he ever came back and pitched like that, that would be a huge boost for this team. They had an interesting one last night. I mean, the Red Sox had gone on an eight-game winning streak. They had that streak snapped, uh, but then last night uh, they wind up blowing a lead to the Yankees, and uh, the Yankees wind up trying to give it right back to them. They're up five-three. They wind up getting a run. Uh, Chapman winds up walking the bases loaded before getting that double play. I mean, that's that's a crazy game last night. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, it was the first time in a long, long time that 
the Red Sox bullpen had uh, blown it. Uh, and it was Addison Reed, you know, the newly acquired, uh, who really had a horrible uh, go of it. And then Joe Kelly came in and didn't do much better. And uh, But uh, having said that, they had a great chance to at least tie the game. And, uh, you know, again, Nunez made a, uh, just a terrible uh, decision to go from second to third on a on a ball hit to uh, Aaron Hicks, who has a phenomenal arm. Um, and he threw him out at third. It was a close play, but uh, threw him out. And that uh, uh, pretty much ended uh, things for the Red Sox there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, they've, uh, they, they were on a nice run, and they had that game in control. And Eduardo Rodriguez uh, had pitched uh, an outstanding game um, for seven innings, shut them out. And just to have the bullpen blow it like that, uh, you know, it was it was unusual because the, the bullpen has been, uh, you know, second or third best bullpen in baseball all year long. So, um, you know, I guess that happens once in a while. We're talking with Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe. If you want to read one of the best baseball writers around, bostonglobe.com, sign up. It's well worth the 99 cents to read the entire paper but you get Nick Cafardo. Nick, I want to. Your column is a national baseball column. Uh, it's not just uh, Red Sox or American League East uh, intensive. Uh, how historic is this Los Angeles Dodgers run right now? It's pretty damn impressive. Oh, it really is. It really is. And uh, I give Dave Roberts uh, a lot of credit. He's just uh, created such a tremendous winning environment around that team. And, uh, and uh, people are really uh, responding to them. They're, they've pitched very well all year long. Um, uh, you know, even with Kershaw being out, uh, they've been able to uh, sustain that. And, uh, and uh, you know, they're, they're really, they have a combination of really good young players and veterans. And, and um, uh, yeah, they, and, and they're in a tough division, too. I mean, they've, you know, you got Colorado and Arizona uh, in that division. We're both uh, playoff type teams, uh, so they've been able to do it with uh, some stiff competition. So, you know, I mean, we've kind of waited for the Dodgers uh, uh, to make it to the World Series for a while here, and uh, and this is their best chance for sure. And uh, we'll see if they can uh, keep it up until that point. Uh, I'm sure they'll uh, do well in the playoffs, but uh, can they get to the World Series is the big question. Well, you know, I, I watch that team from afar. My my biggest question with Kershaw being out is when you stop to think about what they did and how they won that divisional series against the Nationals last year. I mean, Kershaw pitches twice, and yeah. then he winds up closing out game five. Uh, and, you know, say what you want about the Nats and all their struggles uh, in, in the first round of the playoffs in the three years that they've made it. But uh, I still am of the belief that, uh, look, I saw a Mariners team win 116 games and lose to the Yankees in the first of, uh, yeah. round of the playoffs. My my general thought is if they don't have a healthy Clayton Kershaw and that Clayton knows that he's you know well enough to pitch the way he's capable of pitching, I don't think they win. Hmm. Yeah, I mean uh, that that that's not a bad deduction there. I mean. Uh, I mean, know, I know they went out and got you, Darvish, and and he's yeah, been great for yeah. two starts. But you know, before he got traded, he wind up he winds up giving up ten runs before he got traded too. Oh, I agree. I, you know, he's your stud, and uh, uh, you got to rely on him uh, to win you a couple of games. 
in each round of the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, so, you know, if they don't have that, then uh, that's a huge loss. I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, I mean, it looks like he's going to be able to come back. Um, uh, he's so competitive and everything. So um, so maybe that won't be the case. But uh, I agree with you 100%. If they don't have him, uh, they're, they're the loss, no question. One quick question before we let you go. Uh, it's it's pretty well a fait accompli for most people in Baltimore that think that the Orioles are going to have an, a next to impossible time at re-signing Manny Machado. When you look around at the teams that could afford him, do the Dodgers come to mind uh, with Adrian Gonzalez kind of being at the end of the road with perhaps moving Turner to first base, keeping Bellinger in the outfield, do they become a prime team that could either try and trade for him for next year or sign him going into 19? Yeah, they could, but, uh, I mean, you always think of the Dodgers when you think of a high-priced player. But, uh, you know, I mean, from everything they've been telling me, they're, they're trying to get that payroll down. Yep. They don't want to, you know, get into that luxury tax thing forever. They're going to be taxed to death with it. So, uh, I don't know. Um the team, I, I'm just looking at Miami, you know, they really need a guy like that to, yeah. to, to draw fans and bring that uh, whole thing together. It looks now Derek Jeter is going to be running the show it, there yeah. now, so I think he has an affection for Machado, and uh, uh, so I, I, I could see that uh, taking place. But that's the team I'm looking at. There could be other teams as well, but, uh, but boy, it makes so much sense down there. And, and especially how they've had to deal with the death of Jose Fernandez going yeah. forward. Yeah. I mean, that, that again, is something that would be big for the fan base if Manny were to land there. Absolutely. It's been a big mess down there, and they need something positive to happen. And uh, to have a, a guy from that area come back and, and be uh, the the linchpin there. I mean, they have a great they have, they have great positional players. They really do. I mean, they um, you know, I'm sure their focus probably needs to be on pitching. Uh, but I don't think they can pass up an opportunity to sign a guy like Machado. You would agree, after the history of Jeff Loria there, no matter what the the short-term finances are, for Jeter to come in, and it was announced last night that they've come to an agreement at a $1.2 billion price tag, that he would it would be almost impossible for him to redo what Loria did and sort of like go through another rebuild and parcel off players. He's got to grow this thing forward rather than taking a step back, doesn't he? I agree 100%. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about them, them trying to dump Giancarlo and that big contract, but uh, he's had a very good year, obviously. He's yep. on, on pace to hit 56 home runs. Um, so that's the kind of stuff they need down there, and uh, it's going to cost them, but uh, it's where it's well worth the cost. And um, You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does for, for a management team. Um, I think uh, I think he likes Mattingly. Obviously, Mattingly was his hitting coach, so I think uh, I think Mattingly will probably stay in place. But I'm kind of yeah. interested to see who the GM would be and and who the, some of the other baseball ops type people. But the big thing there is that they really need uh, tremendous work in the business community. They really need uh, more sponsorships. They need more revenue coming in, uh, which they haven't had on Deloria because a lot of people don't like them. Yep. Um, so they haven't been able to, to really generate that kind of thing. They really need that down there. They have a nice stadium. Uh, they should be able to sell it. Uh, so, um, you know, that's going to be the biggest task. Whoever the president of the – and I, I'm not sure it's going to be David Sampson. I think they need to 
to get him out of there, but it right. needs to be somebody else besides him. All right, maybe Dan Duquette. Uh, we <laughs> well, will, you know. They yeah. could do a lot worse, let me tell you. Uh, sure. Nick, really appreciate your time as always. Uh, safe travels along the rest of the regular season and into the postseason. We'll talk to you down the road. Great, thanks, guys. Thank you. Take See care. you in Baltimore soon. All right, there you have it. Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, really, uh, really thoughtful writer. Uh, we're going to take a timeout when we get back. Jamal Collier who I called Jason Collier last night on my um, post-game Facebook Live. But Craig Heist was there to correct me. Appreciate it, Craig. We'll be back with Jamal Collier of MLB.com. He covers the Nationals. Par Excel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire. Tyron Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit fullcircletyronauto.com to find out more. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Press Box Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue Sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with PressBox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, PressBox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. 
many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. And welcome back to the Bat Around. I am Craig Heist, along with Stan the Fan Charles and... You know, the Washington Nationals, they're doing pretty well. They're in first place. They're in first place by 15 games. And they got rained out last night. And the man that sat through it with all of us (laughs) was Jamal Collier of MLB.com. And he is here to talk a little bit about the Nationals and what's going on with them. Jamal, good morning. How are you? Man, I've never received a more rousing introduction. Than, there you man. go. Sat through a rain delay. That's right. We sat through a rain delay. And and you know what? <laughs> Craig Heist points out some really positive but, things. But I got to tell you. Yeah, he highlights all the, all the highlights in my resume. I got to tell you, <laughs> and you know this is true. You know, when we sit through rain delays at Nats Park, we never know what we're going to get. <laughs> It's like the proverbial box of chocolates. Now, one thing, the reason I'm happy that Jamal's coming on the show is because we don't have to deal with Latson as much as we used to. Yeah. Okay, now that's yeah. one thing. I get a text from Latson last night. He's at the Yankee game. And out of the clear blue, my phone goes off. I'm trying to do fill-in radio rain delay upstairs. My phone goes off. And Latson texts. He says, if the Yankees lose this game, I'm blaming you personally. Like, what did I do? <laughs> anyway, Jamal, uh, this Nationals team, they get rained out last night. They play a day-night doubleheader Sunday uh, with the Giants in town, the first game at 105, the uh, nightcap at 705. But uh, when you look at uh, what's gone on here over since the trade deadline and just before it, with the acquisition of that, uh, what I'm starting to call the three-headed monster in that bullpen, Dusty Baker's got to be – Pretty happy with the acquisitions of Brandon Kinsler, uh, also Ryan Matson, and Sean Doolittle. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of crazy just the world of difference those guys have made here in the the few weeks that they've been around in DC. Um, <clears throat> take the ninth inning, you know, the other night here, uh, Sean Doolittle's got the the, the tying run at, at about ninety feet away. In, the, in, the, in kind of a jam there against D. Gordon, and you've got the, the fans kind of coming out. That was a pretty cool moment. You know, the, the entire stadium is out there chanting "Do" for Doolittle, right. uh, which is just a, it's kind of such a 180 from earlier in the season where at that moment in they the were, game, they were chanting uh, was, a different they were chanting a different <laughs> version of "Do." Yeah, they were, <laughs> they, were, they were holding their they're holding their breath, or just you know, just a, it was just a, such a, a different a different feel in the ballpark than what it was. You know, a couple of months ago. So I think, you know, I think these guys have obviously been really good since they've, they've been here. Um, you know, Matson, Matson and Kinsler have not given up a run yet. Matson's looked amazing and is striking everybody out. You know, not even really giving up base runners at this point. Um, it's just been a, a, a such a 180, you think about, from where they were earlier in the season to have these guys coming in and doing the job that they're doing so far. 
Um, it's just been a world of difference for this team. And, you know, really makes you feel better and more comfortable about where they could be going into the playoffs, provided, provided they get all their guys back, you know, off the DL, that this team is going to have a real shot to make a significant postseason run. The Nationals have some very interesting decisions to make going forward the last six weeks of the regular season in that Jason Wirth looks like he's on his way back to going out to for a rehab game here or there. So he looks like he's going to be around come the 1st of September. Uh, you're looking at Trey Turner getting back uh, here and also uh, – you know, you, you look at Michael A. Taylor, who has been rehabbing up in Harrisburg. You know, with the bench performing the way they have performed for this team, whether it be Brian Goodwin, Wilmer Defoe, uh, Howie, Kendricks, uh, Howie Kendricks there now, Adam Lind, uh, they've got some interesting roster decisions to make. And I know they don't have to make them in September because the rosters expand to 40 or can expand that long, but come playoff time and setting a postseason roster, they've got some interesting decisions to make. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the, the toughest thing for them is, is, is going to be, you know, Dusty figuring out that bench and to figure out, you know, which of these guys to play well and, and, and fill in roles, you know, is going to be best suited to, to be able to pinch it for your pinch run or have a big at bat um, against a tough bullpen arm in the postseason. Um, you know, I think it's it's the kind of thing where I think that they might still have spots um, for everybody, especially if, depending on it, when Stephen Drew comes back and, and what he looks like when he comes back, you know, there's a chance that potentially Wilmer Defoe is almost past him in the, the depth chart was the way that he's mm-hmm. kind of played as well. And that, you know, it, it, that's going to be something like that's going to play out. And I think the tough thing, too, for Dusty is going to be coming down the stretch in September. He's got a lot of guys he's going to need to get at bats, you know, coming off the DL that'd be worth Trey Turner. Uh, Michael Taylor, those guys, he's going to want to make sure they're in, in, in peak shape and hitting their, their form as they go into the postseason. Uh, but then you still want to make sure you're mixing and bats in for the guys off the bench as well. So I think that's going to be a, a tough combo for him as well, trying to figure those things out. But um, it's a good problem to have when you've got too many hitters that you feel like can perform and, and, and do well on a postseason bench as opposed to you're, you know, you're, trying, to, you're trying to figure out, man, I, we, we got to put five spots here. We really don't have five guys to – to, to put them, you know, to, to fill it out with. I'm I'm listening to the two of you talking. You clearly cover the Nationals a lot closer than I do, but that's all well and good with the position players and how much depth they have there. The postseason, on an awful lot of the time, is decided by starting pitching. And uh, you got Scherzer, you got Geo, Tanner Roark hasn't had a good season, and the one name we haven't uttered is Steven Strasburg. Is what are his chances of getting back by September first and building toward being ready for the postseason? I think pretty good. I mean, you know, he threw a bullpen again yesterday. Uh, he's set to go on a rehab assignment probably some point after this weekend. Um, you know, probably one of the first few days of next week. Um, and then from that, if he goes, if he's good to go on that one rehab assignment. He should be ready to rejoin a rotation right after that. I mean, I think that you know, then the key is after once you get him back on the mat in that park to to keep him healthy then for the rest of the month and in and, and, and peak shape going into the postseason. But, you know, as far as this injury right now, uh, he feels pretty confident about it. He feels like he felt really good in, during his sim game uh, earlier this week. And I think that, you know, this injury is not going to be the one that's going to keep him away um, from the postseason. Now, we saw last year he came back from – uh, you know, the injury from the DL, he comes back, and in that first start, 
you know, he really goes out and hurts his elbow and it then doesn't make another start for the rest of the year. So that's that's going to be the key is to make sure that now he's healthy, he's good, and when you get him on the mound, he's going to be able to stay on the mound. But, uh, you know, he's he's obviously so important because you have him at the top of this rotation. It just changes the dynamic of how how strong this rotation and how strong this team feels um, as opposed to you're, you're putting Geo, who's had a really good season, but if he has to now bump up to number two, you have to bring Tanner to number three and maybe start that with Jackson in the postseason game. Um, and just kind of just changes changes everything for where this team stands right now. But if they can get Strasburg healthy, you can put Scherzer and Strasburg at the top of that rotation, which is uh, you know as good as anybody in baseball. Yeah, it's pretty formidable. Let me ask you about Edwin Jackson. Four starts, two of them have been very, very good, seven-inning efforts. The other two, well, one wasn't really good. The other one, Allen uh, Wrigley Field, uh, he, he goes five innings, but he keeps his team right there. He gave up four runs. Uh, but all of those happened in the first inning, and he was pretty much shut down after that. Uh, you know, and he gave him a chance to win. The, the, the reemergence. Do you, do you guys honestly see him starting a postseason game? I don't see him starting a postseason game, but I'll tell you what, with some of the issues that they've had in the bullpen. Like the middle innings. Like the middle innings. Other than Matt Albers, right. who's had a really good year for them, I could see Edwin stuck in the bullpen in a in a uh, long roll, couldn't you, Jamal? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if Edwin Jackson has to start a postseason game, something went really wrong somewhere. <laughs> Thank with, you, and Thank that's, you and that's Jamal. Not, and that's, really a, and that's not necessarily a slide on on Edwin Jackson, but when you got you know really if you got Strasburg in there and you got Geo and Tanner Roark, those are your four stars along with Max. You know, you don't necessarily want to be handing on Edwin Jackson, and I said that because he's a guy who, like you said, he's he's a little bit unpredictable. I mean, there are some days where Edwin will come out and he can be uh, a really good pitcher and give you seven innings of, of two-run ball and be cranking that fastball up to the upper 90s and, and, and really you know, show you something. And there are some days where he can't find a strike zone. He's up to 100 pitches in five innings um, and walking dudes and, and kind of just, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good number fifth starter because he's a guy who's going to take the ball, he's going to eat innings for you, and he's normally going to keep you somewhat in the game, especially with his offense and the way that they can swing to bat. Um, but I, I, I don't. I think for the purposes of number five starter for the rest of this season, he's perfect for perfect for this team. Yeah, yeah. With a fifteen uh, with a fifteen game lead, he's he's your a 15 guy. Fifteen game lead, right? They could they could, <laughs> they could stick me, you, or Heist out there, right? And it really wouldn't matter who you know what happens. So I think the biggest thing is that um, you know, I, I actually do like the potential that he could have. You know, if you need somebody to fill in the gaps, like you said, in the middle relief or be ready for a long man out of the bullpen. Um, because he's a guy who, again, is a veteran dude who's been there before. And if you give him an inning or two out there, he can crank his fastball up a little bit from 94 to 97 and kind of give you everything he's got. And I think that that could be an appealing thing. It's something that he's obviously has done in the past before, has not done a whole lot this year. Um, but I think it's an adjustment that he could make, and especially when the Nats have kind of limited options. Uh, I think he's he's still going to be a valuable piece, potentially going into that postseason bullpen, depending on what guys get back. Um, and what guys are performing well. And I think when he was at Syracuse, when the Nats signed him to the minor league deal, they put him in Syracuse, and maybe they found something there, or he did, along with the help of some of the coaching staff, because uh, when the Orioles signed him, he had two starts here, and they were abysmal. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's the thing, Edwin Jackson is, is you know, at this point in his career, he's done, you know, had a track record that kind of shows about what he is, and he's, he's like I said, about a fine... Above average or above average major league pitcher, and I think that um, you know 
that's the biggest thing with him is that if he, he gets a chance to make a couple starts and settle in, I think he can be fine. Um, but again, Edwin Jackson is not the guy that's going to go out there and, and win a Cy Young or, or, or do that every fifth day. He's going to mostly give you some, some fine quality innings and, and you get him out of there and hope your offense has a chance to win. It's been so long that, that uh, Trey Turner's been out that I had really forgotten him as part of the equation. Uh, what, what it, what's it look like timing-wise, uh, Craig and, and Jamal, as to when they'll get him back? It's, it's interesting, Jamal. Stan says you almost forgot about him, and the reason a lot of people really have forgotten him is because Wilmer Defoe's Yeah, the level so of well. play they've done, yeah. but, but he's a difference maker. Oh, he's a difference maker, yeah. yeah. But he's, he's throwing. Three weeks away? I would say that's about right, wouldn't you? Maybe a little sooner. Yeah, uh, the three weeks. It seems like maybe the max there. I mean, he's he's a guy who he's not hitting just yet. I guess the last hurdle for him. Um, once he's able to swing the bat, kind of uh, you know, un, 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 uninhibited, he'll be be ready to really kind of crank it up. And they've been under the impression he is too that once he's kind of full go. His rehab assignment won't take very long. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who stayed in shape mm-hmm. uh, through everything. He's still filling grounders, still kind of doing everything. So really the rehab assignment will just be able to get his timing back. So, you know, you figure in the next maybe week he's able to start swinging a bat. A week after that he's able to get uh, out on the rehab assignment. And then probably about, a, a you know, seven games or so in a rehab assignment he might be ready. So, yeah, I think at most you're thinking maybe three weeks. But, um, you know, he is just like you said. It's 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 tough to. It's easy almost to forget about him because of how well they've played and how well Wilmer Defoe's played in his absence. But he is such a you know a difference maker, a spark to the top of that lineup, and things he can do in the base pass, the power he's shown, um, and just the ability that when that guy was really going well and he started doing it right before he got hurt, um, just how much of a difference he can make on any team's lineup and how much pressure he puts on other starting pitches when they're on, when they're on the mound. I have to think about him at first base as well. So, uh, you know, Trey should be getting back soon. He said he's thinking about 30 or 40 games, especially he'd like to have before the postseason um, so he can really get into shape going into the playoffs. All right, we're with Jamal Collier for a couple of more minutes here on the bat around. And Jamal, I think uh, we were talking about one of the um, interesting decisions Dusty Baker has to make is the the you know the construction of this postseason roster Jason Worth uh he's had a hard time getting back from the from the foot injury and he talked to us the other day said about how he'd like to uh get out on a rehab soon uh but again you're looking at you know with what they've done with Adam Lind out there with what they have now with Howie Kendrick it's it's very interesting to to see how Dusty uses uh, Jason Worth going forward. Yeah, I think the toughest thing with Jason is uh, he's not a guy that Dusty necessarily wants to run out. And getting back to what I was talking about earlier, they have to figure out how to get some guys at bats and get them back in the postseason, you know, get them in shape uh, for the postseason and, and kind of clicking. Um, but he doesn't necessarily want to run Jason out there every single day and have him just take all the at-bats every day because you don't want a guy like that who's obviously, you know, 30, 30 38 years old now at this point, um, 37, 38, that you don't want him to run to break down. So I think that the biggest thing uh, for Jason is to necessarily get the get the at-bats that he needs in the minor leagues to, to feel comfortable um, and still hopefully have, a t- have time enough to uh, not have to be rushing and taking every single at-bat once he gets back to the, the, the big league roster. Um, just a guy that's got that much kind of wear and tear on his body. You don't necessarily want to to, to run him down even more 
going into the playoffs. So, um, you know, but he's a guy who knows his body very well. Guys who knows how to what he needs to do to prepare for the postseason and prepare for games very well. So I think you know once he's and he's pretty much now pretty much at the end of the tunnel as well. He's uh, you know just started jogging the other day, and really the biggest thing was for him to start running. Uh, was the the last hindrance for him. So just start jogging. You know, should probably pick up the intensity here in the next week or so, and, and then get out on a rehab assignment. So I think also he's been hitting uh, and been kind of doing everything else he can without putting pressure on the foot to run. So sooner or later, Jason Worth should be back here, and I'm thinking in the next week or two, you can see him back in D.C. as well. All right. Thank you, Jamal Collier of MLB.com. Does a fine job covering the Nationals. We appreciate your uh, taking the time that ordinarily would have been given to Bill Latson. It was much more more productive time. (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't a commercial for the Yankees. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Jamal. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. All right. We're going to make our connection right now, though, and go out to uh, Oakland, California, find out what uh, Rich Dubroff is at. By the way, you can um, listen to us at pressboxonline.com slash radio or you can find us on Facebook.com by going to Facebook.com. Facebook Live, you can find us by going to Facebook.com slash Sports Tonight at about 8.30, I'm going to try and do a pregame version of my postgame O's chat at 8.30 tonight at press, uh, Facebook.com slash StanTheFanCharles, okay? Okay. I'll be looking for that. I'll I'm probably sure you be... will be trying to screw me up. Well, no, I'll be looking. Uh, for... temp- that's all he does is he comes there. It's kind of like the old Earl Weaver, Bill Haller thing. Yeah. You came here for one reason and one reason only. And what was that, Stan? To F <laughs> me up. I mean, I'm doing my thing on <laughs> Facebook Live, and all of a sudden I say, oh, Craig Heiss has something to say. You didn't pronounce that name right. You know, at the end of that Howler video with Weaver, as Weaver's walking off, you know, he gets by Flanagan. He says, did you balk? And Flanagan says, yeah. And he said, out of hell with it. (laughs) So, but Ken Kaiser was working the plate that night. Right. And Ken passed passed away away this past week. Uh, But Ken goes down toward Dempsey and says, who started this darn thing anyway? (laughs) Uh, Rich Dubroff is with us. You know, we always tend to th- you hear people at funerals talk about how their mom is reunited with their dad up mm-hmm. above after 30 years. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine Earl Weaver and Ken oh, Kaiser are you going toe-to-toe at it up there. Joining us right now is very fine baseball writer, covers the O's for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich Dubroff, we got about 12, 15 minutes with you. Rich, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you guys? It's great that you're great. That was not a great finish to last night's game. Um, how, what was the mood like in that locker room? Uh, you can only guess. Yeah, it, was, it f- was very, very. You know, it was it was very, very quiet. That was a very that was a tough loss, and because you know, because it was a winnable game, a game they thought they had won. Uh, and the games are dwindling down. So right now, that's the toughest loss of the season. Yeah, I would I would agree. And you know what? I could almost before Stan asked you that question, I could almost guess what your response was going to be because after the game, a lot of guys stayed in the dugout and were just kind of contemplating what just happened to them. And uh, this is going to be kind of tough to 
to, to rebound from because they can still win three or four games in this series before going to Seattle. But now they got to win. But now they got to win two in a row to do that. I mean, and it's always tough to win on the road, much less the West Coast. Uh, it was a tough, tough thing last night. Yeah, I didn't see. You know, uh, I didn't see the the telecast obviously because the feed we get, the feed we get is the is the, the Oakland, the local, yeah. yeah, the lo- the local feed there. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was it was a difficult loss, and you know it wasn't. I mean, it was Brad Brock, it was Chris Davis, uh, it was not scoring, you know, not not scoring any runs, uh, you know, in the last three innings. And with the bases uh, loaded, other, innings, yeah, but, yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, the, as has happened a number of times, uh, you know, once the once the opposition's bullpen got going, uh, the Orioles were shut down. Yeah, the the unfortunate part of last night's game is it's become such a convenient uh, hook to hang your hat on that the starting pitching stinks that you 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 fail to remember that when they do get good starting pitching, often the offense is sort of one dimensionalness gets exposed a little bit. I thought the huge point in the game was in the Seth Smith at bat with the bases loaded. If he gets a hit there it kind of breaks the game open, and instead, three batters into the Oakland uh, half of the inning, they take the lead uh, off of Ubaldo Jimenez, who'd been pitching brilliantly before that. Yeah, but how about the double play that came, you know, that came before they loaded the bases, Mm -hmm. even though that that scored a run, that basically, you know, you're pinning it all on Seth Smith, but but they only had one opportunity with the bases loaded. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a it, it was a difficult, uh, you know, it was it was a difficult loss because the, the A's are not a very good team. No. The A's are, no, you know, re- in their re- in their retooling. Retool, they're, 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 it seems like they're always retooling. Yes, uh, but uh, it, it was you know, it, these are games that these are games that they're supposed to win. But you know, I was looking at the standings, you know, a few minutes ago, and I see well, they're only two games out of the wild card. But look at all those teams yeah, that are right to, around them. Yeah, you I have mean, to have you know, five I, I teams. Saying this, yeah. You know, I keep saying this to you guys, but, you know, this team is going to have to go on, on a roll because some other team is going to go on a roll, on a roll and, uh, you know, and put them away. Minnesota, well, they got, Minnesota's that team right now, just like Kansas City looked like too. Team, you know, Seattle was that team. Right, and the Yankees were that team, and Tampa Bay was that team, and Kansas City was that team. Right, you know, in the last few weeks, and you know, for a, a minute there, we thought maybe the Orioles were that team. Yep. Well, these three teams that they're playing on the West Coast now are—they're going to get a shot at them at Camden Yards in the next two weeks, uh, along with you know how many games they've got against Tampa between now and the end of the season. So there's time to get this done, but yeah, that that role has got to start and start pretty soon. Yeah, I mean they're for it. Forty six games, uh, forty six games left in the season. So it, you know we're getting we're getting to the last quarter. You know, we're getting to the last quarter of the season now, and so you can just feel the games becoming, you know, more intense. And uh, you know, even though you know, even though the environment they're playing in in Oakland isn't you know isn't a pennant race type of environment. I mean these are pennant race. Yeah, you have to. Uh, type of, type of team. And, and they're, you know, the thing is, they're they're playing overall pretty well now. Yeah. I mean, la- you know, last night, 
we're not seeing those lopsided games like we saw in June when Zach Britton wasn't there. Yeah. And well, when the starting pitch when the starting pitching was so you know, was so bad. The starting pitching, as you say, is getting better for yep. the most part. I mean, Ubaldo um, has been, he's been, uh, over his last 24 innings, earn run average 2.63, but yet, right. that's four starts, and he and he's one and one, which shows that there are other things deficient in this ball club, other than simply the starting pitching, and most of it does evolve around or revolve around run scoring, but I saw a stat yesterday by Buster Olney that since the All-Star game, the Orioles have uh, been the number one scoring team was it in baseball or the American League? I'm not sure, but you know they they have you know they they've played you know I mean pretty well in a lot of ways. Manny Machado has hit very very well. Yep. Tim Beckham, you know Tim Beckham's average is over 500 in the 11 games since he's uh, you know been been with the Orioles. Jonathan Scope, of course, continues to play well. The catchers are are, are playing well. So there's a little, there's a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. happening, and they just have to capitalize on this good stuff. We're talking with Rich Dubroff and uh, Rich. I'm just curious: did anybody get to talk to Davis or Scope after the game last night? No, just about. But Buck, but, but Buck I mean, was the feeling that Scope should have taken charge on that play? No, Buck said. Uh, Buck said no. I mean, you know. We asked him after, you know, we asked him afterwards uh, about the, uh, you know, about the play, and he said because of where they had positioned Scope, he was too far away okay. uh, to make the play. Uh, and he he said he didn't think the ball should have been scored in that the ball should have been scored in error. Yeah, that is, that is that is a tough error. That's a that's real a tough, tough error. error. Yeah. yeah, you know, but uh, you know, it's, it's funny because Davis is. Uh, uh, even though Davis has struggled at the plate, he hasn't struggled in the field. Yep. And then last, you know, that was, uh, yeah, that that was a difficult play. And also, Buck thought that even if the play had been, even if he caught the ball, he was so far away from, uh, you know, from the infield, and he had his back turned that the run might have scored anyway. We're talking with Rich Duboff, who covers the Orioles for PressBoxOnline.com, as well as the print edition of PressBox. Rich, uh, when we sat next to each other last week at Camden Yards, we were talking off-air and offline about the um, roster decisions coming up. They made the first one with Mark Trumbo coming off the DL and Donnie Hart taking them down to 12 pitchers. Of the Santander, Hardy, and Flaherty moves, what's the chronology that you see them happening in? Well, the Flaherty move may come... Uh, the Flaherty move could come maybe as early as Monday. Now, is that Santander just simply move. is that just simply Tejada? I will. We'll see. You know. Okay. Uh, we'll see uh, because we you know never know what happens between now and then. You know, it's funny. You know, we can talk about oh well, I think this guy would replace this guy, but invariably it seems that you know there's an injury uh, that happens that something else preclude you know something well, else. Just pretend for him, just for the sake of discussion, let's pretend. Nobody falls in a pothole or a sinkhole. It it seems like it would be Flaherty comes up for Tejada, then Santander would be next for whom? Uh, well, per- perhaps Craig Gentry. Gentry, yeah. Um, because uh, you know they they have to put Santander on, but that's you know that, again 
that that's uh assuming nothing that that assuming nothing else uh yeah, that, well I just wanted yeah, to they, assume they have, that with with uh Gentry Gentry has already passed through waivers twice right uh, cuz he's been designated for assignment twice nobody's claimed him uh you know if that happens uh, a third time then basically he spends 2 weeks in the minor leagues and gets readded on September 1st correct so- and then the thing with Tejada uh it's also, you know, if Ryan Flaherty had a uh, had an option, they might send him down to try and keep Tejada. Uh, and you know, Tejada could well be claimed mm-hmm. if he's if he's put on waivers because you know I, I think he's shown pretty well, and he's a uh, you know he's a valuable guy to have. Though uh, Flaherty is a little more valuable because he's a left-handed hitter, and the Orioles don't have very many left-handed hitters. Correct. And uh, and he can also play corner outfield, which makes it well. Which if they have to uh, have to let uh, Gentry go, but, uh, but would can, give but, them an extra outfielder. But can Flaherty play the outfield or shortstop with coming back from the shoulder problem he's had? If he if he can't if he can't he won't be back. Okay, that uh, is the reason. That's the reason that his rehab has taken so long, is because they wanted to make sure that he was able to throw and field okay. from every position. And earlier this week, there were concerns that um, that Ryan uh, hadn't fully recovered, that his arm was not fully recovered. Uh, if, you know, if by early, you know, next week at the end of the Oakland series, that they feel that, uh, that they feel that Ryan isn't ready, even though his rehab is over, he will not come up. I mean, he'll have to, you know, he'll he'll have to remain on the disabled list. Uh, you can't even you can't force a player to come up if his, um, you know, if his physical condition doesn't allow it at the end of a rehab assignment. Well, let me ask you this: uh, Dylan Bundy goes tonight uh, for the Orioles, and uh, in his last two, he has been very good after the extended rest that he got. Uh, do you look for that same trend tonight? Because obviously this is the one guy they need going down the stretch if they're going to make a push at this thing. Right, you are, Craig. Uh, and I think that uh, Bundy is, Bundy's not working on uh, extended rest. He will well, be his next start. He will be his next couple of starts. But this is regular rest for him. Yeah, but so I meant I meant I meant extended rest uh, prior to the previous two. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is going to be an interesting test because, you know, there are times down the stretch he's going to have to pitch on, uh, you know, on, 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 on regular, on regular yeah. five days. So this will be, uh, this will be an interesting test. The, the previous two, of course, he's been, uh, he, he's been outstanding. And, you know, for them, they'll have, uh, they'll have as many guys in the bullpen, uh, locked and loaded to, uh, you know, to, if they if they need a bullpen game, I mean they haven't had a real bullpen game in a while. In a while. And, two, and so uh, this is you know this is going to be important. Two quick things before I ask you about the presidential library question, the key question. But two quick things: <laughs> we left off at the J.J. Hardy thing. Is it essential? Because you you zipped in and spoke to him and wrote about him the other day. Uh, with him understanding the tea leaves the way they're reading right now, is it absolutely essential, or 
or regulatory-wise necessary that he comes up before September 1st? No. He could, uh, he, you know, he ha- he's not scheduled yet for a rehab assignment. I mean, he's been on this whole trip. Yep. Uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, in fact, I'd like to get some more clarity on it today uh, from Buck Showalter. Maybe uh, Hardy goes on a rehab assignment a week from now. Right. When we- they come, when they come back. Which would put him in uh, line he to... He does not have to be... A- a rehab assignment can be as long as 20 days, but if a player says says that they are fully healthy during that rehab assignment, they don't have to take the full 20 days. They but that's, to, but that's part of Hardy being a pro's pro. He knows where this is Well, headed. he knows he's not he, You know, Even though Buck had said that he thought that Hardy would be ready at the end of the 60 days, right. uh, which would be next Friday, which would be next Friday, uh, you know, Hardy knows that he needs a rehab assignment, and I don't know how long, you know, that that rehab assignment uh, would be. All right, so, now the, you know, the, if, 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 if let's say he's not ready for the rehab assignment this week, then maybe they push it all the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, his return is not until September. 1st. Yeah, I don't see that at all. I agree with you. That's the way it's heading. Um, which leads me back to Santander for a quick answer. I keep hearing now that if they have him on, you know, when he gets through his rehab, that would give him like 45 days roughly on the major league roster contiguous at the end of a season, a regular season. Provided they do that, his Rule 5 status carries over to next year. Would he have to simply do the first 45 days of next year to get to the 90-day mark, or would it be longer? No, yeah, he's not. You know, I, I for uh, for the longest time uh, thought that they could simply redshirt him. Right. You know, in effect, having him, uh, you know, get a free look at him uh, this year, and then decide whether they wanted uh, to keep him and have the rule of five status intact for all of 2018. But that's not the case. So let's say they get him around 45 days. Right. Uh, may actually be a day or two more. More. Then you know, then uh, you know, in early early to mid May next year, because the season's going to start in March. Right. Uh, he would be uh, he his Rule Five status would be uh, complete, Protected, and they right. could and they could and they could option him. But they think that this is a, a kind of guy that they don't have in their system. Yep. All right. And they and uh, they have really good reports on him uh, well, on him from Bowie. And they, they think he'll be able to play both the corner outfield and, and decent DH. Okay. Uh, libraries, what's the status? I know your bucket list is to see all 14 presidential libraries. 13. 13. And you've gotten up to nine now? Eight. Eight. I hit my eighth. Mm-hmm. I hit my eighth this week. Which uh, was Richard Nixon. The Nixon and Whittier? Uh, no, it's actually in Yorba Linda. Yorba Linda. Which is only uh, which is not uh, only about fifteen minutes or so from Angel Stadium. So uh, any fan that, that uh, that's an int- interested in history and baseball and goes out to Anaheim, which is a really great park. I hadn't been there in twenty five years, and it's a great uh, one of the best parks in in baseball. It certainly should be added to fans' baseball itinerary. But if you go out there, uh, the Nixon uh, Museum and Library. 
are just terrific. What's There's the even next a helicopter? There's What's even a helicopter where he resigned. Where, where he resigned? Uh, yeah. Where he not resigned? Where he got on right. uh, after he after, after he, he resigned. resigned. Yeah. So it's and, and it's a very very um, balanced look at Nixon. Is it is Checkers uh, there? Is Checkers there? Uh, checkers is not, but the Checkers speech is. Okay. I think Checkers would be in pretty rough shape about <laughs> now. All right. Stan, you're going to have to explain to anybody under 70 right. who Checkers was. Checkers, of course, was his famous dog that he pulled out to to bring up. Uh, what speech was he making? What was he checkers, charged with? The checkers speech. He was charged with improprieties when he was can, uh, a candidate for vice president in 1952. Right. And uh, he, uh, he and was accepting gifts, and he said that one gift that the family had was this cute cocker spaniel named Checkers, and they weren't going to give him weren't back. Giving him, weren't giving him up. That was the famous Checkers speech. All right. Rich Dubroff, uh, and what's the Dan, next? I just want what? you to know one more thing. Yes. I think you need to know that your, your baseball writer is not a crook. <laughs> Let me see you, though. Put, I want to I get a picture of you today on Facebook, though, with you holding up your, the V for victory. All right. Uh, unshaven. I'll do that in person. I'll do Unsha- that in unshaven. Uh, uh, there you go. Have there been any uh, jerseys of the day out in the West Coast? Actually, I got one. I got one the other night. Uh, in front, just from the press box, I got a, a little glimpse of a Cesar is tourist. Okay. Uh, but I put it up. It was very late at night, and it wasn't a great photo. But uh, there, there are a number of Oriole fans in uh, in Oakland. They they certainly stand out. Uh, Amid the uh, partial sellout. Yeah. All right, Craig. Uh, I mean, uh, Rich. What's your next library that you're going to be able to get to? I don't know. That's the important one. I have to speak to the authorities about that one. All right. All right. Uh, because uh, there, uh, there. You know, there. We we have Ho- we have Hoover. Uh, we have Hoover, FDR, Clinton, uh, uh, Clinton, and a couple others uh, left. Uh, Ray Clinton. Reagan and one more that uh, has right. just escaped me for the moment. We Carter. need to get him a jersey that the Oriole jersey that has Nixon written on the back of it. Okay. Did he ever well, play for the not, Orioles? Not, uh, I don't think there's been a Nixon, but there's certainly oh. there, there have been there have been Kennedy and Johnsons who've played for the yes, Orioles. Yes, there have been. All right, Rich. Thanks so much for uh, st- stopping what you're doing. We appreciate your being here. All right. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks. Enjoy guys. the rest of the trip. Safe travels. Thank you. All right, we'll take a final timeout, and we'll wrap up the bat around. We'll put some tar and feathers on that bat. We'll be right back. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. 
guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium... We tend to sit in 334. But the ticket screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Pressbox. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Job and Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And we are back with the battle round, and uh, I am back. I am back in touch with my phone. My phone. You really have no life, do you? <laughs> my phone. He just proved it right there. There you go. Anyway, our studio door is open. Can you open? It? Can you close it? I think we'll be in good shape for All the right. next we two or okay? three minutes. All right, uh, many thanks to our guests today, Josh Joshua, Section 336, Lee Lowenfish, the author of The Ferocious Gentleman, biography of Branch Rickey, Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, Jamal Collier, MLB.com's very fine Washington Nationals beat reporter, and Rich Dubroff, PressBoxOnline.com's very fine beat reporter. I'm on my way out to Towson mm-hmm. to take my first look at the Tigers uh, football team for 2017 uh, 2017 season. Okay. Rob Ambrose invited me out there, and I'm going to go out there. I'm Yes. I, I was wondering, um, are you going to the uh, the great battle of Baltimore between Morgan yeah, State and I'm Towson? Gonna I'm going to okay. go. Yeah. I'm going to go. So you guys are both going to Glenn's uh, party today. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Got, uh, <laughs> got the pig roast today, and I got my invite. You got yours, right? Yeah. Did you, did you get an invite, Stan? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have my phone. I'm sure. I'm sure the. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find it on I'm there sure, somewhere. I'm sure the uh, invite. <laughs> Glenn, 
Glenn would not invite me. Glenn, Glenn puts out a slip and slide. Yeah. Okay? Runs water down it just like you were a kid. It's a great time. Right. Great time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> not to mention all the food and partying going on. It's And the women. Well, yeah, but, yeah. you know. And then there's that, too. <laughs> we kind of keep that low-key. Yeah. All right. Okay. And where, what's the address? Uh, I... I was sworn to you secrecy. Can't, you, can't, you can't give it out ah, over the air. Ah. All right. Nats, at, uh, Nats host the Giants tonight. Yeah, and Edwin, Edwin Jackson on the mound tonight. He was pushed back. He, he's your guy with a 15-game lead. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah. And he'll be the guy. He's, if they ever fall well. behind like 7 nothing in a game in the He'll be the guy. First one out of the, the pen. Guy. He'll be the guy. Uh, but it's interesting. I had not factored in the whole Trey Turner coming back thing into my – Power he, rankings. He really does. He's got uh, Dusty has some very interesting decisions to make uh, in formulating that uh, postseason roster. Yeah, those are decisions that uh, Buck Showalter may not have to make. And that may not. No. All right. Quick question: How's um, Annie Romero? Annie uh, has not started throwing yet. Uh, you know, but I, I'm fully expecting. Uh, that that's not as serious an issue as what they thought originally. Mm-hmm. So you may see him, you may not. All right. All right. That's going to wrap up the bat around for this Saturday the 12th. Uh, don't forget tonight at 8.30, I'll be on with a pregame Facebook Live. You can go to facebook.com slash Charles. And also tomorrow morning, 10.30, press box, inside press box. Our guests are Rob Ambrose. And uh, Donna Woodruff, the new AD, athletic director at Loyola University of Maryland. And uh, during your uh, program tonight, before the game, and if you're going to be on after the game, I'll try to be there to make all the necessary corrections. I appreciate that. (laughs) I greatly appreciate that. Uh, You are like kind of like my, um, uh, what's it called? Whiteout. Whiteout. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and nobody gets the white out like Craig Heist. There's no question about oh that. My gosh. Craig, you got to pick out a Thursday when you are you can make it in before all the caps and everything. And the Wizards get going. Yeah, and the postseason of baseball. Right. So you're not going to be able to get in until yeah. probably January. Might not. Probably. But all right. But we'd the, love to have you. By the way, Verizon Center's changed the stadium name now. That's right. It's, it's going to be Capital, Capital One, One Arena. Capital One, One Arena. Arena. So it's no longer the phone booth. It's either got to be the bank, the ATM. Where is your arena? Huh? Capital One. That's where, right. Where, what's in your arena? What, what's in your arena? There yeah. you go. <laughs> All right. It used to be Gilbert Arenas. Yeah, Gil, it used to be Gilbert Arenas. Yeah, right? but now it's what's in your arena. <laughs> All right, that does wrap us up for the uh, program. Tomorrow, Sarita Hubbard, you should come in tomorrow. Just pretend you've got your days mixed. She's going to be here tomorrow. I have I a doubleheader to cover th- tomorrow. Yeah, but Sarita. Doubleheader, Sarita. Yeah, but I can watch her on the live okay, stream. that's a good point. Yeah. She'll be here tomorrow sitting in for Ken Zalis. Ken gets back this week, uh, gets really ready to crank up the fantasy football season. And Sarita doesn't care about me. She probably said, who's heisty? Uh, yeah. I hear she's, uh, she's going to be at Glenn's today. All right, good enough. All right. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see catch her there. Her. All right. I'll tell her you said hello <laughs> since you won't be there. Bonza, have a good weekend, buddy. Thank you. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. Good night. Good goodbye, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>